Well, my name is Marcel Hall, and uh, with my wife, Karina, we have the honor and privilege to be able to serve the church here by leading our family ministry. We have uh, three kids. I have a nine, seven, and one-and-a-half-year-old, two girls and a boy, baby girl, baby doll, and baby boy. And uh, that is not their real names, but you can call them that, all right? And so it's so good to have all those who are visiting here today. We're so grateful that you would come out and uh, join us in worshiping God today. I'm so excited to have you here and be able to worship God here with you. Just to give you a little bit of insight here on what we're doing here in the church, for Orange County, we have a theme pretty much every year, and our theme this year is 2020 Vision. We want to be aligned with God's vision for the church and for our lives and for our communities. And we also want to be a part of God in his process in realizing and this vision becoming reality. And so we are focusing in on vision this year. And we just started a new program uh, which is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And so we just started a series, a whole program we're doing every Sunday, every Wednesday for our midweeks. And we want to grow in our maturity. And so we're having a new series that we just started called A Vision to Maturity. Today will be the second lesson, but we can catch you up to speed here. And so the whole idea here is that it's not possible to be spiritually mature if you remain emotionally immature. And so like the picture in the iceberg, there's stuff on the surface, but really underneath the surface, that's really what's going on in our lives. And if we never tap into that, if we never deal with that, then we will always remain spiritually and emotionally immature. And so God doesn't want that, and I don't think neither of us, neither do you or myself, would want to remain immature. And so we're excited about going through this series here, and uh, those visiting, I definitely encourage you to join us again. We'll be uh, going again on this topic through, again for the next seven weeks here, Wednesdays and Sundays, so please feel free to join us. Now last week we talked about the problems of being emotionally unhealthy or having emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Today we'll be talking about knowing yourself so that you may know God. It's important to know yourself, isn't it? Because you can make some mistakes when you don't know yourself. Or you can get into some trouble when you put yourself in a position or a situation which you shouldn't have put yourself in. You guys understand what I'm saying? For instance, I'll just embarrass myself because I like to do that. <laughs> Me and my wife, Karina, we've been married now uh, 15 years. It'll be 15. It'll be 15, yes. All right. So when we were dating, she had a little issue with the, uh, uh, it was some type of gym membership. So she had this little issue with the gym membership. She said, Marcel, can you join me to go over here and get this thing fixed because they're charging me and they shouldn't have charged me because I canceled my membership and they still want to charge me. And I said, no, I don't want to go with you because I know myself and I'm not good in those type of situations. She said, it's okay. I said, oh, okay, let me be a good boyfriend. So we go over to this place. She starts having a conversation with the employee. She tries to explain to him what had happened. The guy is not really responding in the fashion in which we had anticipated. And so someone comes up and, and they turn in a, a cancellation form and he told Karina this, now I'm just in the back chilling. 
I'm just listening. Mm -hmm. And, the, and the, the person turns in a form, and, he, and the guy says to Karina, see, if you would have did what he did, you wouldn't have this issue. Now, y'all know Karina. She's real nice. But that set her off, okay? She said, no, you didn't, right? You know? And once I saw her and I saw that dude, I said, man, this dude is out of his mind. And once I saw her and then he said something back to her, man, I jumped up. I said, hey, homie. I was fairly young as a Christian, but that side still comes out every now and then. And I jumped up and I said, hey, man, who you talking to? I said, man, you out your mind talking to, talking to my girlfriend like that? And he said something, and, I, and, then, and then I really went off. <laughs> then I went over here, and I said, man, come around here, man, and let's fight. I challenged the dude to a fight. I said, come around that table right now. Karina realizes she messed up. <laughs> no, Marcel. She told me back. I said, man, come around this. Man, come around here. Man, me and you. And she pushed me. I said, man, you better come out here. I finally, the Lord caught me. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm leaving. I walked out. We go back into the car, and I said, I told you not to bring me here. You know I can't handle this type of stuff. So whenever we have problems with bill collectors, I say, Karina, you better call them, because you know I can't handle that. You see, we need to know ourselves, don't we? We need to know our limitations. We need to know who we are. We need to understand, because if not, it will really damage us, and it will damage those around us. But it's important. I know it's essential. As we've been learning here through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, it's important that we know ourselves and that we know God. Let's pray before we get into the scriptures. God, thank you so much for this time already. It's been so fulfilling. And God, I just pray right now. God, you know my prayer. I've been praying this here for the last couple of days. God, I just want you to speak. God, help me to overcome any insecurity. God, I just want to take it to you. God, I just want your word to be spoken. I know you have a message for every single one of us. And God, I pray that that message is clearly heard, understood. It is absorbed. And God, it will produce the change that you want it to produce. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys with me here, brothers and sisters? All right, we're going to look over in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at a man named David. And David was, uh, he eventually became King David, and so many of us are familiar with the story of David and Goliath. And so we're actually going to look at that today. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 17, to give you a little bit of history and context here, you have the Israelite army and you have the Philistine army, and they're at odds with each other. And so at this place of battle, however, they're not going into battle yet because the Philistine army has a giant of a man named Goliath and he is calling out to the Israelite army saying hey you know what we can just squash this without a lot of bloodshed and here's what we can do I'll take on anybody that you bring out whoever wins wins the war and so he goes and he does this for about 40 days and he's been barking out these things and he's defying God he's defying the army there however every time he does this the Israelite army army does not engage or they do not recruit somebody, but they actually go away in fear. 
and they do nothing. And so at this point, David, who's a young shepherd, he comes to bring some, some uh, uh, resources here for his brothers who are part of the army, and he goes and he hears what's going on, and he sees Goliath. And so now he's inquisitive. He's like, man, wait, what's going on? What, what's happening? And so we're going to take it up right there. Do you guys understand the, the context here? All right, here we go. All right, so 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26. David asked the men standing near, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's older brother, oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? Let's stop right there. What's up with this? But this is kind of classic brother and brother situation, isn't it? Oldest brother's like, man, what are you doing here? And he goes, he's like, man, come on, man, you're just here. And, and, and he says some pretty harsh things, doesn't he? He says how wicked you are. Hey, you're not here for any good reason. You just want to see the battle. I mean, man, he just straight attacks his youngest brother, doesn't he? If you were David, how would you be feeling in this moment? You'd probably be a hurt, angry, right? You'd be feeling a number of things, but you wouldn't be like, hey, so good to see you, bro. You probably wouldn't be filled with the excitement, but there would be something that would be uh, uh, stirring in your soul there. We continue. He then turned away to someone else, this is David, and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul, he's the king of Israel. He replies, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Now, is Saul expressing a lot of confidence in David at this point? No, in fact, he's expressing the exact opposite, right? Man, what are you talking about? You? Man, you can't go fight him. Man, you're a young guy. Man, this, you, you see how big he is? That's a grown man right there. That's a grown man who's been fighting and killing people for many years. You're not, you can't do this. We continue in the story here. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, psh, man, he'll be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now, I don't know how you read this. Maybe he's expressing a whole lot of confidence or he's like, yeah, okay, go ahead then. Yeah, go, may the Lord be with you. But something did stir in Saul here because as we continue, it says, Saul then brought David in. It says he dressed David in his own tunic. So he got his, his clothing there. He says he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd bag and with his sling in his hand he approached the Philistine. Let's stop right there. 
here we have this situation. Saul goes and decides, you know, okay, let's go ahead and let, let, let's let this young guy fight for us here. And he tries to put on the outfit that he would wear when he would go out to battle. And he tries to get David to be like him. And really, what he's trying to do is have David become really like a normal part of their society. Because these are the weapons and these are the, and this is the uniform, if you will, that you would need that is required of you to go out and win this battle. Here, wear this, because this is what real men do. Hey, hey, why don't you use these, because this is how society is. And you see this constant pressure for David to succumb to the pressure of others to be something he is not, and to be something less than what God has designed him for. Hey, hey, you need to do this. And you can imagine David's already been discouraged by his brother. He's already heard the initial remarks from Saul here. And so you can imagine, I'm sure there was this temptation to want to give in to some of these feelings of, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should be just like you guys and everybody else and be just like you. You know, this happens with every single one of us today. All of us face the challenge from the world, from society, from our schools, from our jobs, our neighborhoods, from media, sometimes our family and our friends, to live what we would call a false self. To live a false self. You know, the vast majority of us will go to our graves without knowing who we are. We consciously live someone else's life or try to live up to someone else's expectations for us. Whether it be family expectations, our families have these expectations of who we should be and wh what we should do. Sometimes or, or every single one of us has cultural expectations. Whether it be our nationality, our neighborhood, our particular demographic, whoever it is, there are these expectations upon us and we feel like we have to live up to those. We have to match those. We have to, again, embody those. We even in the church can have these self-imposed church expectations. That, you know what, the church, oh, because I'm a member of the church, that I should be doing this or that. And, 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 but we're not talking about righteousness. We're talking about certain personality traits. We're, we're, we're talking about doing certain things there that maybe God has not really designed for us to do. And so we have these expectations or, or we have these things around us. And so what do we do? We live a false self. We're not being who God want us, wanted us to be. Because we have not identified or clearly embraced who we are. And what happens? We try to wear Saul's armor in our lives. What's uh, Saul's armor being our family's expectations, our, 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 our culture's expectations, our, our society's expectations, that we try to wear those and we go around and it doesn't really work. And what happens again is that this leads to living a false self, believing and living out a falsehood. And some of these that are very prevalent, uh, uh, I want us to go ahead and talk a little bit about. Are you guys with me, church? Okay, let's look at this first one here. I am what I do. 
This is a falsehood that we can believe that I am what I do. It's all about our performance. That we believe or that you believe that your worth is all about your performance, your achievements. The greater, the greater the achievements, then the greater you feel like you are worth. The less your achievements are, then you feel like, you know what, I guess I'm, I'm really not worth very much. I really don't matter. And the problem with this is it's exhausting. And it's an itch that can never truly be scratched. Because we're trying and we're trying, but yet we, we, we accomplish, but then we go, but I'm supposed to do more and more because that's what I'm worth. That's who I am, right? It's all about what I accomplish. And so therefore we're exhausted and we're still trying, but it never gets fulfilled. Or we have, we, we feel like, man, I haven't had much success, so therefore I'm terrible. And so we get discouraged. We have shame, depression, never experiencing the life that God wants. The second falsehood, I am what I have. My possessions. I am whatever I have. The money, the degrees, stocks, portfolio, clothes, houses, cars, what college, even the idea of, of a trophy wife, right? We go ahead and, hey, if I have this, then guess what? I am somebody. I'm worth something. But it's a falsehood. Why? Because we know, what is this? This is shallow at best. It's shallow. And it's a shallow view of life, and it's a shallow lifestyle because it leads to being very arrogant. Yeah, look at me. I have all this stuff. All these people, look at them. They don't have what I have. Leads to arrogance or leads to what? Disappointments. Oh, you know what? I, I don't have what everybody else has. I guess I'm a disappointment. I'm a failure. A falsehood. And a third falsehood, I am what others think, our image or our popularity. We're so concerned about the image that we have or the image that we portray to those around us. And we question and we have these internal dialogues. Do I look good enough? Do I sound good enough? Do I look professional enough? Do I sound professional enough? My kids' education, what does that reflect? What does that show about me? What does that show about uh, my family, my kids' college? What what school they go to. And all this does is create an insecurity in us. It creates an insecurity and we become overly sensitive about people's comments and views. What they mean by that? Why are they looking like this? And all we're doing is we're insecure because we're living out this falsehood where we don't know who we are and so we're living out what we think is true. And when you don't know yourself and you live a false self, guess what? It only hurts you, your relationship with God, and prevents you from the life that God has for you. I can testify to all of these. Especially before I became a true Christian when I was 19 years old. Man, this, this really was my worldview. And I have some, uh, some, some friends of mine here who, uh, who knew me back in the day. And uh, right here in the front, you laughing. You're like, yeah, that was you, Morris Hill. All right? And I know before, I mean, man, it was all about performance, whatever the case may be. But really one that was really big in, in our kind of uh, culture was this idea of possessions. Hey, did you have the latest? Were you looking the flyest there? What, what were your shoes looking like? You know what I mean? Uh-oh, I got a scuff on my shoe. I better go inside and change my shoes. You say, man, that's shallow. I know it's shallow, okay, but that's what it was. 
And so this idea, and so I was so consumed with this. And I didn't realize it at the time. And then I became a Christian, and hallelujah, my whole worldview transformed, totally different than what it once was. But God has been revealing over the last, I say, probably about 10 or so years, and especially as we've been diving into this emotionally healthy spirituality, is that my pride is so high that it creates an insecurity in me when I feel like I am not achieving this status that I think I should be at. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? And so with this pride that is there, creates this insecurity, and I am so overly concerned about my popularity or image. And especially, and I love being a minister of the gospel of Jesus. I do. I, I'm so grateful to God, and I pray that I can remain a minister of the gospel until the day he calls me home. However, there is a challenge that's for me because I can struggle with what you all think of me. And I can be overly concerned to my shame, and I'm so convicted. And I got to be honest with you, I don't, I, part of me doesn't want to share all this with you. But, but I can be so concerned and thinking, okay, you know, I have to have a certain image to be a leader in God's church. And, and yes, I do need to be a good example. You don't want no bad example, right? <laughs> but, but I can be overly concerned about others. I can go, okay, well, Bruce, he's strong in this area, and, and so I need to make sure that I come across the way Bruce would in this area. Oh, wait, I didn't. Uh-oh. Or we're in a situation that we're giving advice and somebody gives advice and I'm going, wait, do they think his advice is better than mine? Uh-oh. Will they respect me? Wait, wait, wait. Maybe they want them to lead and not me to lead. And then what will happen? And these are the internal dialogues that I'm having with myself. Yeah. And it's crippling. It's preventing me from maturing and living the freedom that Christ has set for me. You see, these are the falsehoods, and you can see how it prevents you and I from actually maturing and living the life that God wants us to live. We're living a false self. You guys hear what I'm saying? You know, again, this keeps me and it keeps you from maturing. But we be I believe we need to make sure we learn from David and his example here. You see, David knew himself and he knew God. What did he tell Saul? Hey, man, I can't put that on. I can't live your life, Saul. In fact, I can't, even, I, I can't even go to battle with your weapons. That's not me. And just think about this for a second. You have to be really secure to go into battle with a slingshot. <laughs> You, you get what I'm saying? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have been that secure. I would say, okay, man, go ahead and give me one of those swords. You know what I'm saying? But you, got, you have to be really secure. You stand out in front of this giant. He has a sword, a spear. He's got a little, 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 little homie with him as well, okay? He's got a, sheared, uh, a spear and a shield and a sword. And you come out with a slingshot. <laughs> Well, you better be secure. You know what I mean? You better know who you are, and you better know God. And that's what we learned from David. He said, look, I can't, I, can't, I can't stay in your lane. I have to be in the lane that God has created me for. 
He knows himself, and he knows God. If you and I are going to mature, we must learn from David, and we must know ourselves. We must know who we are. We must know our skill set. We must know the talents that God has given us individually, because you and I can't copy any other person. Now, we need to follow each other's examples and learn and traits and becoming more righteous and holy, but that's not what I'm referring to. I'm saying we can't copy anybody else and try to be like them. Because there's only one of them and there's only one of you. And that's to the glory of God. We don't need two of you. You might be all that, but we don't need two of you. <laughs> we don't need two of me. Trust me, the world, we'll, we, we'd, we'd have some trouble with another Marcel Hall. You know what I'm saying? But God has made you special, and he made you especially for him. And yes, when we become a true Christian, he then transformed us in the likeness of the son of his, of his son, Jesus. And he's talking about the character and us being formed into that likeness. And so God, again, has made you, but we must know who we are and we must know God. Let's finish here with the story. Church, are you still with me here? Meanwhile, the Philistine with the shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Boy, oh boy, he, he's a confident man, isn't he? David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world would know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here would know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, or give all of you, into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Well, that's a story right there, isn't it? I mean, that's, a, that's some vivid imagery, too. He kills him, and he's like, man, I ain't done. Let's get this sword. <laughs> I'd run, too. Like, man, that man is crazy, you know? But David has his victory. Why? Because he knew himself and he knew God. What did he say? Hey, it's not me. It's not anything about me. It's about who God is. He had a clear understanding, a clear uh, relationship, and a depth that he knew who God was and he knew how God wanted to use him. Look at this verse here in Psalm 27. This is David and he wrote this. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall I be afraid? You see, he knows God. 
David knew God, and so therefore he started to know himself. And what happened is this cool little cycle takes place. Because he knows God, then he starts to know himself, then he begins to know God even more. And that's the same for you and me. The more that we know God, the more that we know ourselves, and the more that we can know God, our creator. You see, you can't know your true self if you don't know your creator. Look at the freedom that David had. He understood the character of God and understood his identity was found only in God. And the freedom and the maturity that comes from this. And that same freedom and maturity is available for you and I and we can learn from David's example here. We can have the freedom. David isn't afraid like every single body else. Everybody's afraid and they've been afraid for 40 days. But David's the only one who knew God in an intimate way, knew himself, and what happened? He's free, and he takes on the challenge and has victory. Don't you want the same? You see, the victory is there, but we need to make sure that we discover our true selves. Discover your true self. Discover who you are supposed to be in God. If you're visiting here with us maybe for the first time, I want to encourage you to find out your true self that God offers through his son, Jesus. For many others uh, in the congregation, I want to encourage you and challenge you to discover what falsehood do you have in your life right now? Are you trying to live for others? Are you trying to live for society's standards? Is your self-worth derived from a falsehood? Don't run from the truth, but face it and take it to God. Pull the people in your life and pray for the courage and the breakthroughs. You know, your true identity can only be found in God. And I want to tell you something. Your true identity can only be found in God. You are not, you are not what you do for a living. You are not what you studied in college. You are not whatever role it is in your family. You are not whatever talent is that you have. You are a creation of God. And if you're right with God, if you have a right relationship with him, then you are a child of God. You are loved by God. That's your true self. I want to share this something real quickly here. This is so cool. John the Apostle so he, he's writing about Jesus' life here, and, and, and he goes on in, 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 in several verses in Scripture, it says this. It says, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple who loved him, I mean, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Now, you, you notice all this, right? He kept talking about this disciple whom Jesus loved. You, you know who he's referring to? Himself. He writes out, talking about Jesus, what does he say? Hey, he didn't say I, he said, uh, yeah, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now that's kind of funny, right? It's like, man, you, disciple whom Jesus loved? <laughs> what are you talking about? Sounds a little arrogant, right? Like, man, this dude, who does he think he is? He calls everybody else by their name, but he's the disciple whom Jesus loved? I actually think that John knew his true self 
think he's being arrogant at all. I think John knew his true self. You see, he had this intimate relationship with Jesus. And he understood who Jesus was, and he understood that his identity was found in Christ, and it wasn't in anything else. He wasn't the son of Zebedee. He wasn't the disciple. He wasn't all the... He was the one whom Jesus loved. That was his identity. It wasn't in his uh, 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 occupation. It wasn't in his talents. It wasn't whatever society was going on. It wasn't any of that. John knew that he was the one whom Jesus loved. That was his identity. He is loved by the Lord. So that's why he says, look, hey, hey, I'm just, that, that's who I am. I'm the one whom the Lord loves. And guess what? You're the one whom Jesus loves. You're the one whom Jesus loves. It's not your talent who defines you. It's not your possessions. It's not your image. It's not your achievements. It, you are defined by the love of Jesus for you. That's your true self. If we can understand this, if we embrace this, we can live out our true lives and we could say the same thing. Hey, I'm the one whom Jesus loves. In fact, I want you to do that. Why don't you tell the person to your right, I am the one whom Jesus loves. Go ahead and tell them. I am the one whom Jesus loves. Now here's the thing, I see you laughing. Here's the thing, I see you laughing, you're like, I'm the one that Jesus loves. But do you believe it? You see, God's message for you today is that you are the one that he loves. You are the one, that, if you're in a right relationship with God, that's, who define, that's what defines you. You are the one that he loves. That's who you are. That is your true self. And there's freedom in that. When we understand that, hey, that's who I am, then I can shed off the, 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 the armor of society. I can shed off the armor of culture. I can shed off the armor of, of media in my neighborhood or whatever the case is. Why? Because I am the one whom Jesus loves. Brothers and sisters, the path to emotionally healthy spirituality is through knowing yourself and most of all, knowing God. Let's throw off the false self and live out what God has designed for us to be. Let's know that Jesus, that if we know Jesus, we will discover our true selves. And again, our true self is that we are loved by God. So I want us to all say this right now again here. I want us on a count of three, and I want us to all say this with conviction because it is the truth. One, two, three. I am the one Jesus loves. Amen. Have a great Sunday.